Well, good morning, church family. If you'll find your seats. First of all, I want to thank everybody this morning for remembering to set your clocks ahead. I had visions of half of the church being at momentum and the other half forgetting to turn their clocks ahead. But I'm glad to see you're all here this morning. I'm glad to be here again and uh, to be able to share a message with you from the Word. And this morning, the title of the message is Godly Wisdom. I'm going to try to answer some of these questions this morning. What is wisdom? And specifically, what is godly wisdom? Can I get wisdom? And if so, how? And what will wisdom look like? And what can I do with it once I have it? And the big idea today is godly wisdom will empower us to lead godly lives. Now, there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. And I want to tell you a little story that will illustrate that truth. At a Christian university, there was one class that everyone wanted to take. So many, in fact, that the class had to be held in a big auditorium. It was New Testament survey. Now, the reason that this class was so popular was that the professor had been teaching it for 25 years. And in those 25 years, he had never given out an assignment, he had never given a pop quiz, and on the final exam, the same question had been given for all 25 years. It was, describe the missionary journeys of Paul. Well, there was a young man who was a star on the football team he was a good athlete, but he wasn't the best student. If I got my football player up there, please, thank you. <clears throat> so he decided to take this class, and to make sure that he got a good grade, he hired a tutor to help prepare him for the final exam. So when the day came for the exam, the football player was ready. He knew everything about Paul's journeys. He knew about Philippi and Thessalonica, Rome and Tyre. He knew about Timothy and Barnabas and Luke. He was ready. But when the final exam was passed out, students all over that great auditorium were stunned to see a new question. For the first time in a quarter of a century, the professor decided to ask a different question. Instead of a question about Paul's missionary journeys, there was this question. Critique the Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus. Well, the students were stunned. How could this be? One by one, the students got up, slowly left the auditorium, leaving their empty exam papers on the desks, all except for our football player. He slowly opened the exam paper and he began to write. And write he did. For over an hour, he wrote and he wrote and then he handed in his paper. Well, the next day, the students all filed into the auditorium. The professor had two stacks of papers on his desk. One was a big stack, marked F on them. The other pile had one paper, our football player's paper, and it had a mark on it too, but it was an A plus. 
A classmate of the football player asked him, what in the world did you write about? The football player handed him his exam booklet and said, go ahead and read it. The student looked at the first sentence in unbelief. This is what it read. Who am I to criticize the Sermon on the Mount? Instead, let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. <laughs> you see, wisdom is much more than knowledge. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is never putting it in a fruit salad. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that we have and knowing how to apply it to obtain the best possible results. So what are some ideas about wisdom? Well, one of the symbols of wisdom that is pretty much accepted throughout the world is the owl. Now, how did that happen? Well, in Greek mythology, the goddess Athene was thought to symbolize wisdom and was often depicted with an owl nearby. And that probably was inspired by the owl's big eyes and solemn appearance. The Greeks also thought owls had some sort of inner light that let them see at night. However, in the Bible, we also see the owl as one of the forbidden fowl to be eaten in Leviticus 11. The other usual symbol or representation of wisdom has to be King Solomon. He knew he needed help in knowing how to be a good king and to take care of the kingdom. Now Solomon could have asked God for money or material possessions, but instead he asked God for wisdom. He asked God for understanding and help in knowing right and wrong. We read about it in 1 Kings chapter three. At Gibeah, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him for the, this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. So what Solomon asked God was to have wisdom, to understand the application of knowledge, to have the skill in choosing the right course of action for the desired result. So our biblical definition of wisdom is to become skilled in the art of godly living. Is wisdom difficult to get? Not really. 
The word instructs us that wisdom can be attained, and of course the book of Proverbs is the book that tells us how. So this morning we're going to look at three steps that we can take to gain godly wisdom. Number one, the, the accumulation of godly knowledge. Number two, having a godly attitude or mindset. And number three, planning a godly course of action. Number one, the accumulation of godly knowledge. Proverbs chapter one, verse five. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Notice the word hear, sometimes translated listen. For example, there are four different translations of this verse I can show you. The first one is in the New International Version, which says, let the wise listen. In the King James Version, it says, a wise man will hear. In the New American Standard Bible, it says a wise person will hear. But in the Christian Standard Bible, it says, let a wise person listen. Now I've heard these two words used in, in many different ways because some people say, you heard me, but you weren't listening. And then others say, well, you were listening, but you didn't hear me. But the key in this verse as far as I'm concerned, are, not the, are the words that follow, hear, or listen. And they show that there was a definite change in what happened to them. They increased in learning because they heard or listened to what was being said in their heart as well as their mind. Now another part of being a wise hearer or a listener has to be discernment. 1 Corinthians 12.10 speaks of discerning the spirits, and it means to be able to separate, to distinguish, or to discriminate. In other words, to filter out the bad and only let the good in. Today we are bombarded with information as no other generation has been. And we need to activate our filters as never before so that what we do take in will not destroy us from within. What is my filter? Well, on the conscious level, it's the word of God. Does this agree with God's word or not? Does this align itself with scripture or not? Is there a verse that reveals the truth about what I'm hearing or not? But you may say, I don't know the Bible that well. I'm a, I'm a new Christian. How does this work for me? Well, on the subconscious level, we have a friend a comforter, a discerner, who will gladly let you know through a marvelous thing called conviction. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he will be there to help you discern what is right and what is not. The Holy Spirit is our ultimate guide, going before us, leading the way, removing obstructions, opening the understanding, and making all things plain and clear. He leads the way we should go, in all spiritual things. Another idea in this verse that's presented here is that we are to increase learning in our accumulation of godly knowledge. In other words, we're not to be like the public school system and pack all of our learning into 12, 14, or 16 years, get a degree and say, well, thank God that's over. I don't have to study anymore. Just the opposite for us. We, as we get older, we should increase 
or add to our learning. And it really, it should be a great joy to do so because we are building upon previous accumulations of knowledge and have a greater basis upon which to build and reference. It becomes more of a exponential experience for us because our godly knowledge literally begins to explode in front of us because of this vast information that we have available about God and Jesus. Now the best way to increase learning is to, and to gain wisdom is to study God's word. Everything we need to know about God, about ourselves, and about the world around us can be found in the words of the scriptures. Here is what Moses spoke to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And in the Psalms we read, in, in Psalm 19:7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 119:98, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And then in 2 Timothy, we read these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So our continued study of the word of God for our entire lives will greatly increase our opportunities to acquire this godly wisdom. And that will have a profound effect upon first our relationship with God and secondly, our witness to everyone that we come in contact with. And then, in this area of accumulation of knowledge, there is this exhortation to obtain guidance. Or other translations say, to sit under wise counsels. Psalm 19.20 says, Listen to the advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Another proverb warns us of the danger of not being ready to receive instruction. Proverbs 12:15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And yet another proverb predicts that what will happen when we don't seek godly guidance. Proverbs 15:22 says, without counsel, plans fail. With many advisors, they succeed. So here we have this thought of us seeking or creating opportunities for us to be in a position to hear wise counsels. 
And that means guidance, or as the original word meant, steerage, or that which provides direction. And we go after this from men who have already obtained a certain amount of wisdom, but they themselves are continuing to grow more into it, which is what makes them wise. And just a word here about this church and how fortunate we are to have a pastoral team that we have of five men who are wise because they study and they learn how to apply the knowledge that they gain through that study and then they get to pass it on to us. So we appreciate them. So individually, we need to look for and create opportunities to receive this guidance. And how can we do that? Well, by making commitments to be where the word is being expressed by men of wise counsel. We can make sure that we see these times as critical to our lives as children of God and treat them with the dignity and respect that God deserves. Another final thought here is that it takes time to accumulate knowledge. And that's why I believe a certain amount of wisdom can only come through age. And why I have always enjoyed talking to older folks because they can really teach us a lot about wisdom. So now we know how to accumulate godly knowledge as the first part of our journey into wisdom. So what comes next? Having a godly attitude or mindset. Proverbs 3 verses five through seven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There are three things in this passage that will help us establish our mindsets with wisdom. First, there is trust. Trust is a real volatile word in today's language. Who can you trust anymore? Doctors, lawyers, businessmen, even clergy. You just watch the evening news and eventually you'll hear about someone in these professions violating somebody's trust. The word trust here is all about confidence. Confidence is a relationship built upon assurance and intimacy. We need to get close to God, to have a consciousness of security, a total reliance upon his attributes, and a bold certainty of his promises. We need a Pauline kind of trust that we read about in 2 Timothy 1.12, where Paul says, but I am not ashamed for I know who I am believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Secondly, we need to have an acknowledgement that his ways are better than our ways. Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When we acknowledge someone or something, it requires us to do two things. We must first observe, and then we recognize the truth about what we're observing. And for a child of God, that simply means that we see that when we do our own thing, it doesn't turn out as good as when we do God's thing. Thirdly, to establish this attitude and mindset, we must have a reverential fear of God. 
Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And Psalm 4.4 says to stand in awe and sin not. I believe the fear of God and humility walk hand in hand. A humble person, one who truly understands how great God is and how insignificant he is without God, has a healthy, even vibrant fear of God. Not fear in the sense of being scared, but fear in the sense of a respectful wonder for who God is and what he has chosen to do for man through his son, Jesus Christ. All this reverential fear should produce in us a predictable result, the hatred of sin or anything that causes us to be at contention with or to withdraw from God. Things such as pride, arrogance, or choosing the evil way over God's way. The third point this morning is planning a godly course of action. This is the verbal and the physical implementation of the other two parts, planning a godly course of action. The verbal, Proverbs 5, 1 and 2, my son be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. This is very clear now in the light of what we've heard this morning. God says to take all of this accumulated knowledge that I have imparted to you, pass it through your mind which has stayed on me, and think before you speak. How many arguments could we have sidestepped? How, how many hurt feelings could we have avoided? How many reconciliations could we have encouraged if only we had employed wisdom? But as long as we live and breathe, I'm afraid that this evil tongue will get me into more trouble than anything else. James 3, starting in verse 5, says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of burst and bee, bee, bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. My only chance to avoid getting into trouble all the time is to engage wisdom. And perhaps, just maybe, if I do, there will be times that I can be used of God to build up and edify instead of criticizing and tearing down. Maybe I can be used to draw someone closer to him rather than to give them an excuse to withdraw. Maybe if I get wisdom. The physical part of this implementation is found in Proverbs 4.26. 
Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. I think this is the ultimate manifestation of wisdom, our outward walk with God. Because here we get the opportunity to reveal to others exactly what is taking place inside of us. Here we get to show others what God is doing in our lives. Here we can become witnesses of the almighty God of the universe, the savior of the world. And the word says to ponder my path. That really means to prepare before I take a step. Where am I going? Well, if I'm going to the mountains for a hike, I would wear a certain type of shoe and outfit. If I'm going to the beach, I wouldn't wear the same outfit, but something more appropriate. So it is with my daily walk. Where am I going? To work? Am I prepared as I step out on this particular path? Have I prayed about my day, my coworkers, my boss? Am I ready to be wise today? Maybe I'm going to do something with my children today. Have I asked God for guidance specifically for each child? Do I have his mind towards them before I take that first step on the path? See, this is wisdom. This is using the tools that God is providing us. And if we utilize this accumulated knowledge and pass it through the mind of Christ, then we will stay straight on whatever path we trod, not turning to the left or to the right, and we will have removed our foot from evil, walking in wisdom. I go back to Proverbs now in chapter four, starting at verse seven. It says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Someone counted and, and they say that there are 8,810 promises in the Bible. 7,487 promises are made by God to us. And we find five of them in this one little passage. We find that having wisdom will exalt you, will honor you, place a beautiful garland on your head, bestow on you a beautiful crown, and that the years of your life may be many. That's what we mean when we say that godly wisdom can empower us to lead a godly life. I'd like to invite the band to come up. And now this morning, as we come to the end of our service, we're going to celebrate communion. Here at Grace Community, we invite everyone who has a personal relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior to join us. I read this statement recently. The wisdom of the cross purifies and unites believers. 
the wisdom of the world pollutes and divides. I think the godly wisdom displayed at the cross will bring us to think of three things as we take communion this morning. Remembrance, proclamation, and anticipation. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, it says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So first, we remember that Jesus left heaven and became a man, the incarnation. We remember that his earthly body was broken for us at Calvary. And we remember the new covenant that was established because of his shed blood. Secondly, we proclaim the Lord's atoning death on the cross as an offering to God the Father for our sins. And thirdly, we declare the anticipation of the Lord's return. Let us now take the bread and the cup and think on these things. Now let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for who you are, King of the universe, creator of all things and sustainer of all things. We come to you this morning as humble, needy people who cannot do anything of eternal value without you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice of death on a cross to satisfy your demand for a perfect sacrifice for sin. Thank you that through that act, you have provided a way for sinful people like us to be reconciled to you by accepting and believing that Jesus died for us and that through him and him alone, we can be redeemed. Thank you for giving us your word in the Bible that gives us instructions and guidance, not only on how to be reconciled, but also how to live a life that honors you. May we do our very best to live that kind of a life so that others can see your love manifested and desire to have that same relationship with you. And if someone here this morning desires to know how to have that relationship with you, may they seek out a pastor or a friend and share that with them. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy towards us. And thank you for all the promises we have through your word. We ask you now to bless everyone here and bless those who have spent the weekend at Momentum 
We love you, Lord, and we pray this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.